0: Hello and welcome to a very special episode of The Brave Room. As always, I'm your host, Juan Amiro. And Kit's on leave today, so instead we have called the actually a real person, Alex. Hello, this is Alex. I am real. See, (laughs) text-to-speech technology has gone really, really good. I can make him say whatever I want. How are you doing, Alex? It's been a while since you've been on the show. About the same as
1: ever, not much to complain about.
0: That's not true, and you know it. So, we have a very special episode for you today because before we get into the things that happened this month, we have a very special interview with Fernando Loreiro from Razer. He is the senior manager of global esports at Razer, and he came on the show to talk to us about the Razer C Invitational and just esports in general. So, without further ado, roll the clip. Hello and welcome to another special interview here at the Brave Room. With me today, we have our very special guest, Fernando Loreiro from Razor. Why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks so much for
2: having me. It's a pleasure to be here speaking with you. My name is Fernando, as you said, and within Razer, I work within the the sports team, specifically in charge of everything we do within tournaments so leading our strategy for third party tournaments what we partner with who we sponsor how we activated the host scope as well as our very own events called like the razor invitation as i'm i'm sure you know very well but i'm happy to talk about it today
0: yeah, that's like as we're recording this, that's going on right now. How are you feeling it about
2: started off yesterday? Oh, it's very excited. It's very excited. Uh, the, the whole lead up to the event, you know, like it's that, there's so many elements, so many, so many moving parts. That until like things are actually up and running, it, it it can get you like a little anxious. But everything is coming out nicely. We had some amazing action yesterday. Some very strong matches between Cambodia, Myanmar. and and like so many other federations i think Thailand Indonesia played yesterday as so well i got to go back to the games themselves but yeah awesome action very good engagement from our fan base and looking forward to what is next
0: yeah definitely i mean i remember back when i was in high school i briefly got into starcraft and you know there were all these hushed whispers and you know StarCraft's, like a national sport in korea <laughs> like people watch starcraft tournaments on tv and then like fast forward 10 years later and now like the whole world is into it, <laughs> not StarCraft. I mean, but like you know, this whole esports has definitely like shifted perspectives in the part in the whole decade. Yes,
2: that's something that I've been I've been saying in some other uh, some of the conversations that I have as well. eSports is not as new as we think, right? Like you can date the first tournament all the way back to like 1979 uh, as an eSports competition, and it's just the way that it has been becoming more and more mainstream, and people understanding the strength of the community is just it just grew so much in the last decade that we've we've been seeing like eSports just take all the main stages and and have an audience that's just massively like grown and, and people really trying to understand and and be involved within uh within esports and game and try to, to understand this whole brave new world that we have today.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think like the big the best sign of that is, you know, we have discussions of esports at the sea games. Well but. yes
2: not only discussions but it's been like a medal event it has been a medal event in the 30th uh, edition 2019 and it's now going to be featured again in the 31st edition of the SEA Games in uh, in Vietnam happening later this year in May I think I like always to draw a parallel when we're talking about, like, the participation of esports in these major tournaments of, like, traditional sports, right? If you go back, let's take, take a trip back in, in history, like, 10, 15 years ago, and if somebody will tell their parents, say, hey, uh, I want to be a skater or I want to be a surface, like, I want to compete in the Olympics, I'm going to earn, like, a gold medal, people, their parents will be like, just go find a real sport to play or go find something else, go find, like, a legitimate sport to play. And the reason I tell the story is that if you fast forward like 10, 15 years from, from that day, you had in Tokyo last year, like 14, 15 years like old or even younger, gold medalists standing like up high in the podium, representing the country like in such a high moment in their lives. And not only like inspiring millions of, of, of people and becoming a national hero automatically, but not only... Inspiring them to become skaters or surfers, but also like to like pursue their own dreams, however unconventional or different they may be from like what people perceive as normal, like at every every point in time, right? And the reason that I say this and I like to draw this parallel is that I see esports in a similar position today because even though the community is much larger uh, and it's much more well-known, there's still some pushback and there's still some some unconventional way about like pursuing a full career like in esports and i think that in a few years time not 10 or 15 years but in a few years time we'll start to see more and more esports being featured this like in these major events as you said we have it coming in the sea games now we have it in the asian games in 2022 we have it in pan am games so it's just a movement that's it's on constant growth and we start to see more and more and when you look into the engagement Right? And if I go back to the 30th SEA uh, game in 2019 in Manila, it was the first time that eSports was featured as a medal event in like major sporting event. On the first day alone during that game, when we streamed on our own like, platforms, the Razer platforms, we recorded over a million views and approximately like 70,000. At the peak of the event, we like the arena filled to max capacity, uh, Razer streaming platforms registered like over 20 million 90,000 viewers. And those are just like massive testaments. On the size the strength and the level of engagement that this community has uh, and that's why i think like we'll, we'll start to see sports like more and more prominent in these major sporting events and just as a final point for like comparison here in that event back in 2019 i think we had five or six titles featured like in the sports uh, vertical or pillar of it now in the 31st C games this year we have like 10 events so it almost doubled in size from like one to the next in only like two years, uh, two and a half years, like time frame,
0: right? And I, I like the, what you said as well about how inspiring new people and stuff, because one of my favorite things to do occasionally ESPN will show esports. And I love scrolling through Twitter whenever this happens because there's always a crowd of people says, Why is ESPN showing esports? That's, they shouldn't be doing this. They're showing a proper sport. I'm like, Hey, guess what, buddy? It's a proper sport now.
2: It, it is, right? Like, and I, I think. There was a Nike campaign that took place not long ago and they're like talking about the whole preparation, the, the preparation between like an esports athlete and a traditional athlete is barely different. The physical needs of preparation, the mental the mental preparation, the whole injury, injury prevention, the whole thing, like it's it's very similar. It takes the same amount of like effort and time and physical strain as it does for traditional what they call traditional sports and esports. So it's we're going to start to debunk the whole image and perception like with time we'll see the whole like differentiator factor like uh, toned down significantly I expect
0: so I was looking through the games for the Razor C Invitational yeah. and uh, I feel like I, s- I say this to, to every every guest from Razor whenever we talk about Razor C Invitational but I, I ha- I'm contractually obligated in <laughs> fact to bring up that I am a big supporter of the fighting game community but uh like I have gotten my butt handed to me at several tournaments now, <laughs> and at the same time we understand the fighting game community is not the biggest. <laughs> so my point is, Razor C Invitational is—correct me if I'm wrong Mobile Legends. Was, was there a second game there? Uh, uh, PUBG Mobile. PUBG Mobile. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, and while it's while it's disheartening that you know I will never see Guilty Gear at the Razor C Invitational. It makes sense. Like mobile gaming is huge in the C market.
2: Yeah, I think you're getting to a very interesting point because deciding on which games to have uh, in any given tournament is hands down one of the biggest challenges that anybody like hosting a tournament or an event has to get it right in order to succeed in doing so, right? Especially when you take into account like the variety of esports titles. And not only that, you touched upon this on your question as well. It's on on the category of games that you have. So PC gaming, console gaming, mobile gaming, what direction to go with. And when you put an event like that, and I, I feel it's very easy to get it wrong, but there is a, a step-by-step that we usually go through that helps us, that helps us like always diminish the risk of not getting it right and making sure we embrace as many people as we possibly can, putting like the best event possible out there. And the, the way that we can do this is First, you gotta take into account cultural nuances and you gotta be respectful of those. And what I mean by this, and I think you 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 nailed it on, on the head when you said, like, I'm a fan of like first person first person shooter games, right? And many people are. And it's not only about the size of the community, but like some countries and some uh, some communities, not only they they don't play, but they don't accept those like games that could eventually promote or be perceived as promoting violence in a way. So, you gotta be sure and you gotta be mindful of those perceptions and those nuances because whenever you take an event region, you gotta to adapt to like what the region embraces the most and is most comfortable with. Uh, so, say that's like the first step. Second step, we gotta take into consideration the whole technical elements and level of accessibility, right? And what I mean by this is that when you take an event to Southeast Asia and you say, look, mobile, like mobile gaming is massively popular here, and it is. But it's not only because it's massively popular here, it's because it's also like super accessible. And the technical requirements for you to be able to compete and play a mobile gaming is different than it is for you to play a a console gaming, right? Or like a PC gaming for that matter. So when you put that together, you like to add like these first two elements, you start to kind of tone down to a direction that you want to go with and the games you want to go for. Second, when you're talking about like a region like Southeast Asia, you're not talking about like a cohesive unity of like a space and community. You're talking about like 10 different groups, 10 different countries, each one of them with like their own perception, their own wishes, their own preferences, their own cultural nuances and so on. So you gotta, and that's why we have to work very closely with like the, with the federations to understand even the competitor, the competitor's territory that you have. So even if you're going for like Oba mobile gaming, you might, you might as well be left with like uh, Wild Rift and MLBB. So what direction to go with? Right, and that's when you you, you work very closely with uh, like their own country f- federations because they have the inner information. They have like the, the data points to understand what is popular, what is trendy, what is happening there. Which takes me to like my third point, which is understanding what I call it's very important the trend and popularity curve of any given games. How long have had they been in the market? How long had they been among the top ones? Uh, is it a passing trend? Is it here to stay? And that's when. Working with, like, the, the, the local confederation, you start to gather, the, like, the data points who, so, like, help you to make a very informed decision and sometimes, like, leave your emotion out of the door. And that's kind of, like, how you how you drill down to define which games to pursue. And then lastly, of course, uh, working closely with the publishers themselves to make sure the date of the event that you put in together doesn't clash with any, like, of the major competitions that they have going on because you do want your, your competition, your event, to be the, the must-see event of of that point in time you've decided to host it. So I hope that kind of answers your question. I know I went like a little bit off track there, but yeah, I, th- I think that's a massive challenge that we have when deciding what direction to take, when choosing the games and making sure people don't don't feel left out. Uh, when doing so
0: definitely and I think there's also like the the benefit of the two games that you did choose you know Mobile Legends and PUBG is I feel like they're on exact opposite spectrums of what, what they are
2: yeah no, we feel like they complement each other well and and yet they can sit together very uh, comfortably in the same event they engage with, with uh, two different audiences they I don't want to solve but they kind of touch upon different styles of like gameplay that will make sure more and more people feel like in praise and excited to be a part of and watch the race invitation so i think i was really happy with uh with the suggestion that the team like came up with and how we worked out to work with tencent and Monton to actually be able to not only get those two titles approved to be a part of the event but get the, those two publishers like very supportive and very engaged uh and very happy to make those, those titles a part of the invitation themselves and the federations as well of course
0: yeah like personally i'm not a big fan of battle royale games like watching them is is a bit like like there's not a consistent level of hype because you know people are like lying and stuff but mobas that's a lot more hype so i think like by having both games you like you said they're they're very different audiences so you get to maximize that reach even more you have the the chicken dinner seekers at the (laughs) and the MLBB players and you get you get quite a good spread I guess yeah
2: yeah we we're very happy we're very excited I think that the response from the federations the initial response from the fans as well has been has been great and uh I'm super excited to see what the next two weeks uh will, will show us about the choice we've made
0: so all this talk about the Razor C Invitational could you could you talk a bit about like you know how you got to this level where like you said you're talking to publishers you're talking and you're broadcasting almost at capacity to the entire region <laughs> i think yes
2: uh happily to to talk to raise invitational <laughs> i hope we have enough time to do that because it's uh, you, you know i tend to talk a lot so do stop me if i'm if i'm <laughs> going going way too off like track here but what i think is that uh, the way the raising invitation started off right it was all the way back in 2020 and it was originally done as a way to prepare like the region's e-sports teams and federations for the upcoming c games and when I say this, it's very important because that's how like the whole raise invitational concept was formed. It was very successful, like for a first ever event that that came out, like kind of trying to embrace the community and put like a good show out there for a first event. It was like an astonishing success, right? But the whole idea of the of the invitational is to have a foundation that's based on diversity, inclusivity and fairness and empower the dreams of the new generation of eSports athletes. and getting people from all levels like, together, uh, giving them up to represent that like the countries and to play and to lead like really celebrate eSports the love for like the game okay so after we had like the first event in 2020 we expanded like globally so we had events in north america we had in latin america we had in europe middle east and always like breaking barriers uh being like very inclusive bringing communities together like really making a making a case to bridge the whole esports community bringing everybody together through the race invitational and unlike traditional esports competitions right we are open to Everybody who wants to test a battle. So we see ourselves, and we want the race invitational to be a true celebration of esports. It's not a pro level competition, and it's not like an absolute level competition. It's an event that is a true celebration. That every single person, whatever level of engagement they have with the game, they should feel welcome, and they should feel embraced to the race invitational. And we will have something for you, whatever like your level and your level of interest is uh, with the game that you love. And that's what took us to the new format that we have. Going on today in the invitation that's happening uh, that started off yesterday here in Southeast Asia, we restructured it to mirror to the dot this 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 whole position, this whole vision that we have. So we have what we call the national showdown, where we have the ten federations in Southeast Asia submitting teams to compete in uh, in PUBG and MLBB, uh, two sports that will be featured in the Sea Games in the upcoming Sea Games as well. But we have uh, them to compete kind of to show high-level competition the event can bring and help uh, help reinforce and support the whole Olympic vision for esports so we started talking at the beginning of this podcast uh, the second vertical the second pillar of the invitation is what we call the open so the open is is an open tournament that any single person can sign up a team and play can register a team and play so if you want to put a team together and play you can I can Vanessa can any single person we want to be a part of this can literally sign up and compete for a chance to win the cash prize and for a chance to win like Sweet Razor Gears. And not only are you going to compete among like other other players like yourself, you're going to be competing against some key KOLs as well that have lined up uh, to play on the playoff, uh, the playoff side of the event too. So it's a whole idea to give you like an experience that you could not get anyplace else, right? And then the third place, the third pillar that we have is all the master classes. So masterclasses is it's what the word like suggests a workshop with some game legends like Oh My Venus, Alas, and so on. To literally give you a the tips and tricks on how to bring your game up. Like how can you become phenomenal in the game? Like how can you make your gameplay better? How can you understand the perfect strategy or the perfect way to assemble your team or to select your heroes or how to like play offensively or defensively and so on and so forth like it's it's a whole idea to get those people who are starting off in the game or like have been playing for some time but they just want to take their level up and by having these three pillars we feel like we've embraced the entire community interested in those, two, in those two games and for them to be able to come in and just celebrate their love for the games whatever like level they're at and that's what like racing looks like today uh, and hopefully we're going to keep on enhancing the the whole flag and, and making it better on every iteration that we we put out there.
0: And you brought something really interesting there about the whole, uh, the whole like essentially masterclass system where you learn. Because I think that's the one, one big difference between esports and uh, traditional sports. I guess is you know I watch, I don't know, let's say Usain Bolt run. I'm never gonna get there. I'm <laughs> I'm 20, I'm 20 years a bit too late. I'm to to get there. But you know when you watch, for example, when you watch someone. Play mobile legends there is that like that skill level is within your grasp
2: definitely right but one thing that we we need to put in here is that gaming is not only a sport it's also a lifestyle right and that's probably why you have this room to host a classes where you can introduce people to your lifestyle which can serve as either like a mental escape that you can have like out of a stressful week or just a place that you go to like relax and enjoy and connect with your community and people like-minded like yourself, right? And yes, master classes can serve as a way to introduce you to the game, can serve as a way to enhance your skill set, something that some traditional sports won't be able to do and something that has a much longer longevity when compared to traditional sports as uh, using running as, as you put out there, as you use it
0: as an example just as you're saying it like the the thought of is like becoming more and more prominent in my head i guess is that yeah no a huge part of the popularity of esports is the the idea that this is an attainable goal like you know absolutely They're they're not they're not demigods
2: oh exactly and, it, and it's something that yeah it, it's what you said it's a level of accessibility right and that's something that we see the the whole incredible growth in uh, popularity the rise in popularity and and widespread of like esports and gaming has a lot to do with this. It's accessible, it's uh, it's within everybody's grasp despite of age, and it can serve both as a lifestyle as well as something for you to take much more seriously as an athlete or as a career itself. So it's something that it is a very welcoming space for everybody. It's just a matter to find what like what suits your style and and get on with it.
0: Yeah, and I, I think like uh, one thing you you haven't brought up is also the the commentary side plays a huge part in this as well. Like, you know, a, to use the running example again, the 100 meter sprint, they're not teaching you how to do a 100 meter sprint. The commentators for that event are going to be like, oh, actually, you know, if you, if you angle your foot like this, then you get a maximum lift off that first kick. Whereas esports commentators, a lot of the good ones, they do break it down for you in a way that, you know, you could get there too well
2: they they help you uh they help you consume the they help you consume the broadcast they help you consume the event right so i think and i spoke about this some other time it's it takes a lot of the educational side of things as well because we gotta be mindful about the generations clash so when we spoke before about like this whole uh sometimes pushback that you have when somebody says hey like I want to be a gamer. I want to be like an esports athlete, and some like and some something on on those lines. And you, you might hear like a pushback for like somebody on the older generation. It's not a, only a, only because it's a perception point. It's a perception issue. Too. It's also like a lack of understanding or of what the esports industry is all about. So on what you said here, I think as you said, the good commentators they have it like they they have it right. Like they they knock that out out, out of the park. Is on, on the things of. When you're streaming something, you're communicating with like a wide audience, not everybody is gonna be fully aware and knowledgeable about the spot that they are saying. So they have they have a mission there. They have to make sure everybody feels welcome, everybody can follow what is happening on the screen. So the whole educational piece and being more mindful and explaining how everything is happening, why some, some things are happening, why some things are not happening, and what the strategies is being done, and, and and the things that people are putting out there, it helps people understand and it serves as this educational piece that even the ones maybe like with the generational clash or just not as much into gaming will be more inclined to learn more and will have like a better a better first immersion in this space. So I think they do play a very strategic and a very important role because it is, they, they're the first ones to to welcome you to this space and to introduce you to this space. So they have that, that mission that responsibility to make sure you feel welcome and you, you feel and then you understand what you're watching.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like commentators like that are pretty much how I got into fighting games because it went from, oh my God, I could never do that. And, oh, that's actually, that's actually way more manageable than I thought.
2: Yeah, exactly. If it's, so, yeah, going back to like your FPS games, if you just sit down and watch broadcasts, you might see like those very set of like moves and changes of direction. Like so many things happen at the same time. You're going to be like, how can I possibly manage all that? And then when you watch like somebody stream, like commentators that can actually explain to you what exactly is being done, like okay, I could eventually do this. Like this, this sounds like fun, right? And, yeah, it becomes more it, out of the blue, becomes more accessible. So.
0: Yeah, it walks you through the thinking process, which is what a lot of people don't realize is a huge part of any esport.
2: Is precisely yeah. learn how
0: to think for that sport, and then it, and then everything will sort itself out after that. Now uh, you also made a point about. Uh, kols in the community and stuff and we know razer has their own like you know team razer athletes so the uh what kind of role do they play in the C invitational
2: so um i think the the whole team razer athletes as you said so team razer is <clears throat> is a brand within razer it's like a vertical within razer within the esports department like my department where you th- those are like the prof- Professional the competitive gaming that we support, right? So those are the teams that we sponsor and partner with, the, the athletes that we that we support and partner with, and so on and so forth. But the whole the whole idea that we have here is not only about the role that they play with, like the the Southeast Asia invitation they are putting together now. It's the role that we play within their own like lives and development as an athlete, right? So when you look into the Razorlight motto, right, for gamers by gamers. it's a company that really walks the talk so it's really how it's not only about like oh we have like this team that's up up and winning up and competing like in such a high level let's put our brand behind them we see them we see our mission i'm talking like from from point of view as those are people competing like in the highest possible level right so by making products for them it's not only about how we can make their own gameplay better and give them the very possible, like, the best chance to win by putting the very best products in their heads, it's also the same for them, what works, what doesn't, so we can keep on improving ourselves. It's like it's this endless search for excellence, both them in their competitive landscape, as well as ours in putting, like, the, the best products out there, like, in their heads. And I think that's what's so important when you look at, like, the whole team Racer movement. Within uh, the race invitational, the role that those athletes play, it's kind of like as ambassadors of the brand, is representing the whole excellence point of view and inspiring this inspiring the, the the aspiring athletes on how to become and how to perform like the highest possible level. And that's a kind of like integration of experience that I see them playing the race invitational. The the whole race invitational is not all about bringing like pro players to play. If you think about it, it's more like grassroots based than it is like as a as traditional professional teams playing the race invitational. Right. But what we want to do is making sure that they feel inspired by the athletes within Team Razor to be the very best version of themselves. Right. And that's like when we're putting the constantly seeking feedback from, from Team Razor athletes on how to develop and coming like with the products and making sure that the product really serves their needs and, and put them in a better and better position to compete in their own like global level. Now, our commitment to athletes is not only product-based, right? We always look into them. How can we support and make them a like a much better athlete, the individual themselves? How can they better prepare for this? And that takes me back to like I think I said in the beginning of, of the of this conversation we're talking about the whole preparation that esports athletes have versus traditional sports athletes, as people put it, and then there's like a very small diff, like differentiator. So we're like we recently launched the our like wellness initiative, which is called Champions Start From Within, which is honestly to serve as this Assets or like tools for athletes to find a guide and find a way to become the better version of themselves. And we have like a, a wide area of tools among like nutrition and uh, and sleep therapy and physical therapy and physical preparation because it's not only and people have the perception right that for you to become a professional gamer, all you have to do is sit back and relax and play like hours on end on, on the game that you want to you want to become an athlete of. And it's so much more than that. It's so much mental stress, so much mental. Uh, strength that you need to put behind it. So much, it's strict and disciplined regimen of of uh, of practice of practicing. The whole like injury prevention and and how can you recover from like eventual injuries and posture and sleep and nutrition and hydration. So it's so much elements through this, which is what we're trying to sustain our athletes with and without a Team by building the whole uh wellness campaign to support them in their journey as professional athletes. So I know I went like a little bit off track here again, not only on, on the Team Raiser athletes role within the race invitational, but what is our like our relationship with the athletes that we support it goes beyond sponsoring putting a brand behind the backs or or on the shoulders but it goes understand what the needs are both from a competition standpoint as well as like the whole supporting role and how can we be there to support and be better and be phenomenal and and that's what we strive to do right and yeah how we strive to do it.
0: i do want to bring up something about that that wellness program because you you talk about that so first started getting into fighting games my hands would get really really sore like yeah. really real bad and so like that was always how i ended my sessions just you know my my hands in pain so i actually had uh i got myself a set of like those mini like wrist weights and did like wrist and arm exercises to like build up that muscle strength so yeah it's definitely a lot more like you do have to take care of yourself a lot more than than just playing the game all day
2: no like a hundred percent right and i think that's a very important it it takes education but we see a, a growth in in that kind of concern for like professional athletes all over the place, they they are understanding they are building resources uh, to help them navigate through their whole foundation of competing in high level. It's not only about the, the physical play. There's a data point that the average retirement age for sports athletes. I forgot if it's 24 or 25 years old. That's insanely young.
0: Yeah,
2: it, it it brings you to like such a like a premature end to like athlete career, especially when you compare to other sports as we've been doing throughout this podcast, right? So I think being aware of all these other factors and elements that influence on how you navigate through high level competition and how you can manage from stress to physical strength and all of that really helps make you more durable, make you compete in a higher level and therefore win more and be more successful in the career path that you've chosen. Right. So I think th- this is an aspect of gaming that we are very it's very close to like our heart within the the, the esports team uh within Razor. It's something that we're putting out there for our athletes now. Uh and we're very excited about it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well I think we're we're at about time for now. So Thank, thank you so much for this conversation this is so, this is really really great
2: i i appreciate you you inviting me to speak uh here at the brave room i think it's i hope uh the the viewers are gonna i gonna love the culture i really, i truly enjoyed myself uh, speaking
0: with you yeah definitely and uh, actually no by the by the time this episode goes up i don't know if the invitation will still be going on but you know i hope i hope it goes i hope it goes well for you guys because like i said esports e- is on the up and up
2: i i appreciate it i hope it goes it goes well so <laughs> i'm really hoping
0: that <laughs> i mean you guys you guys have been working real hard on it so i'm i'm sure it will we, yes we have
2: uh and i'm sure you will as well it's just until it does it's uh well you're like on your toes right but i'm sure it's gonna come out nicely and uh and i can't wait to to catch on the on this episode like a little later on the breakthrough. uh
0: definitely and now we will go back to whatever the rest of this this week's episode is anyways so esports aside now that we're doing a monthly show we do have to go over the absolute mess of things that happened this month so i'd like to point out the first of the, the absolute mess of things that happened this month which is chinese new year as the added testament to how time is simultaneously going too quickly and too slowly at the same time. That was this month!
1: It was. Well, technically it was last month, but...
0: Uh, Yeah, well, I should point out this episode is a week late because I was sick last week and could not speak. Throat hurdy. Very, very hurdy. In fact, I'm still coming off the tail end of it, but at least I can speak now. Anyways, what were we on about? Uh, We were on about February. Right, right, right. So, somehow, we, ha- we have two major news stories we're gonna cover today. First of all, the first one just happened, which was the Pokemon Direct. A direct benefit of us delaying the episode is we got to catch the Pokemon Direct and talk about it on this episode. Yep, we ha- did. Happy Pokemon Day, Alex. How was, how was your Pokemon Day?
1: I kind of forgot it was Pokemon Day, to be honest with you, especially since I spent the morning doing a Digimon Con. <laughs> oh yeah, today was the faded day. This is the eclipse. It'd be really
0: funny if it turns out, what's this, there was a special Metabots livestream being run on Clubhouse or something. At the same time, all the monster collectors today, there is news today for them.
1: Yeah, anyway, I, I sort of just assumed that the Direct would be like, I don't know, DLC for Pokemon Legends or something like that, but no! We're getting a new game by the end of the year. Yeah. That was, like, we joked about this
0: in the office group chat where someone was like, new gen? Ha ha ha, as if. And then it was. And the worst part is, they took so long to confirm that it was a new gen. Like, they they did that whole, like, trailer with the live-action guard, like, stumbling around and all that stuff, and showing... I, okay, I would like to read you a quote. So when Pokemon Legends yeah. came out, I told my friends that I really like this battle system. This is an amazing battle system, and you will not sell me on the next Pokemon Gen unless you confirm that it uses the you know the new the new gameplay stuff from Arceus, right? Yeah. I looked at the at the teaser for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, which at this point it just sounds made up. Like it just like we're really running out of uh, double names here and they showed a little bit little bit of gameplay footage, right, of like the backgrounds, and I said to myself, this game looks so shit, there's no way it doesn't use the RCS. <laughs> that is a hideous looking game. Admittedly, it looks a little bit better than RCS, which is still the most hideous and yet one of the best games ever made.
1: Uh, well, yeah,
0: I, I can't deny that.
1: <laughs> the graphics weren't its strong points.
0: Here's the thing though, and a lot of people like talk smack about RCS for being hideous, here's the thing,
1: still would recommend playing it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I am willing to say it's okay for it to be, what's the word, I guess not bad, just sort of mediocre looking, because at least it was something new. That's not something you get with Pokémon a lot. Exactly. That's one of the things, I'm not trying to be mean to
0: Legends RCS. it's just that, have you ever played Game Dev Tycoon? No. Okay so Game Dev Tycoon was you know you make games and you assign sliders like to apportion resources to developing your game so it would always be like graphics, sound, gameplay kind of stuff right and you could allocate more resources to one thing by lowering resources to other things so for example if I pushed sound all the way up the sound the value of sound at max was different uh, depending on what the level of gameplay was so if gameplay was at 50 percent it would have less than if gameplay was 25 percent so this looks like they pushed all the way down for those visuals
1: (laughs) 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 that was not a priority i know it's wrong to assume things but i always but i just keep assuming those rumors that game freak just they're not They're just having trouble adapting to HD gaming.
0: Like, a lot. I would believe that. It definitely feels like... I don't know why we're talking about Arceus, but yeah. It also feels like Arceus was a lab experiment. And so they were were like, well, yeah, you can't... Like, here are the things you're allowed to test for. New gameplay, new world, blah, blah, blah. But graphics wasn't a thing they were allowed to test for. So no, you don't get extra resources for the for the graphics it has to hit that january launch date because we gotta get we gotta get scarvar out (laughs) yeah but yeah no uh those those new starters how about them i like them they're cool you you and i have very different opinions on this they look okay so look okay i've been a pokemon fan a long time and the longer you've been a pokemon fan the more fakemon designs you see yeah those are some fakemon designs I swear I have seen all three of them in some capacity. It's like I think it's the shade of green they
1: use for the cat as well. Like all fake mon use that shade of green. I don't know. I I mean I mean some of those fake mon they look really damn good nowadays and it's weird. I guess I should go over them individually just cuz it's I have slightly different opinions on all of them. So the first one, the cat, Sprigatito, Sprigatito, I think it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Spanish. Um, It's weird because I really like it. I think it's really cute. But that's really weird for me. Because when I I remember when I saw Litten before any of its evolutions came out, I thought Litten was like just meh, just really average. Like Mm -hmm. it's just a cat. But I don't know. So maybe it's biased because I am a big fan of the grass types. I don't know why green is my favorite color, but
0: it's not a creative color, though.
1: Yeah, it's not. But for some reason, I find this green cat a lot more creative than the black and red cats, and I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just the expression. It's all cute and happy, as opposed to Litten that looked, you know, very dry and emo looking.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I uh, didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't like Litten either. But I saw Sprigatito. You know what my thought was? Oh Lord, the pawn.
1: Yeah, that and that's the other bit. Please, for love of God, do not turn into Incineroar. I, you
0: know it's gonna it's it's gonna be Incineroar with Salandit's body. Oh it's yeah, Slazzle, sorry. Yeah. yeah, Slazzle.
1: I honestly I don't even mind it being furry porn, just don't look like Incineroar. Incineroar Thing is, I don't mind Pokemon looking humanoid, or or if furries want to do whatever with them, but Incineroar's proportions look so off to me, like th- it's so top-heavy, its hands are so stupidly big, it literally looks like a guy in a fursuit. Not just any guy in a fursuit, it's Zangief in a fursuit. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just not a fan of Zangief in a fursuit. <laughs> Admittedly though it did look a bit better in Smash. I don't know if Smash's model was just better, but it did look better in Smash, I'll give it that. But yeah, guy in a fursuit. You wanna make you you wanna make it humanoid? Fine. You wanna make it like not humanoid, better, but just don't do that again.
0: <laughs> you know it's gonna happen though.
1: Oh god, I just saw art of sprigatito as Neko Arc that was the first <laughs> thing i thought i thought of when i saw it it's just like neko arc 420 that's what i'm naming mine
0: <laughs> yeah no i'm going i'm going for new. <laughs> <laughs> oh man well yeah that's so yeah i i love You're, that that one twitter post that was just like a photo of
1: tape on the cat's paws like <laughs> please pause on the ground i know the other thing i'm seeing a lot of it besides the, all of those is just loads of weed jokes just it's got a pot leaf on its face you can't (laughs) avoid it i'm not against it like i said Nekowag 420
0: yeah yeah it's i count at least three weed leaves on this cat's face so what one nitpick i do have about the cat designs and this was brought up by a realistic pokemon artist uh, RJ Palmer, is you look up Sprigatito, you look up... What's the Pokemon that turns into Zoroark? 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 Yeah. And then you look up Vulpix. And just look at look at how they handle those proportions between these three Pokemon. I, I, re-
1: like, I
0: really don't like the Zoroark style design, you know?
1: Why? Is it too, like, cartoonish or...? I mean that sounds like a mean, like a stupid
0: complaint with Pokemon. But yes, <laughs> I like Vulpix's proportions. I like the
1: more, the more normal animal proportions. Like I mean, I'm just looking at them now, and I I get what you mean, but I I just don't see it as big of a difference. I guess
0: I don't like. Um, I think I've said it on this show before, actually. That like, yeah, no. I like my mundane Pokemon. I genuinely like basculin. (laughs) I
1: know people hate Basculine, but no, man, Basculine's great. Uh, so yeah i don't know i just find bad too forgettable but i but i do get what you mean in terms of gen one like a lot of people now say oh gen one's so bland and so simple but no gen one has it has charm to it in in its simplicity like you can kind of tell with tell this is just them saying let's just take an animal and see how we can make it oh yeah my kinda favorite it, but still making it keeping it an animal
0: my favorite is the there's there was a pause going around of like, you know, animals Pokemon and the animals that inspired them. And there is straight up a bird that looks like Pidgey. Like it's a it's a Japanese breed of Pigeon, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. Honestly a lot of the Gen Gen 1 has some of the most interesting takes on how they adapted the animals into Pokemon. Like uh there's a lot of heavy speculation with the modern Pokemon, but I don't know, Gen One's almost weirdly subtle about it. Yeah. Like, you know, so many of the Pokemon are based on things like, you know, yokai, and there's even stuff like Poli... I always find it interesting, Poliwag, the reason it has the spiral is because uh, the tadpoles have see-through intestines, and it's like, it's interesting, it's a cool way of doing it.
0: Yeah, it's, re- it's really, really cool, and it does make me sad to see, like, Pokemon move away from that, because, yeah, the reason why, like, what makes something look like a fake mon versus, you know, the air original pokemon aesthetic is just like how much of it is carried by the cartoon art style like Mm. the older pokemon designs would work without the cartoon art style whereas like okay fuekoko the the fire starter that is hard carried by that art style
1: yeah that's true i probably wouldn't see a real fuekoko in real life but that being said, I do think Fuecoco Fue is a pretty creative Pokemon. It's a crocodile combined combined with a chili pepper. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a cool idea. Like, and you can kind of see that Spanish influence in it since, you know, this region's supposed to be Spain or whatever. Yeah, I, I gotta say, Fuecoco is my favorite of the three designs. I
0: would like to... I don't know how you're gonna segue into this, so I'm gonna segue into it for you. Which is the ongoing conspiracy theory that all fire types uh, based
1: off of the Chinese Zodiac. Part of me honestly wants to make an article debunking this to an extent, because, okay, I'll acknowledge maybe it's true, maybe they did that, but I just find it so far-fetched that Game Freak since day one, or even in starting in a few generations ago, just went down a checklist of saying, oh, so we need to go get the sheep or the ox or whatever now. It just seems... And granted, it's not just the Zodiac thing, Uh, they have them for grass and water types as well. They say all the grass types are based off extinct animals, and all the water types are based off weapons, and I just think it's just an enormous ass stretch. Like, the way I see it, the 12 animals in the Zodiac are some of the most common animals in all of fiction. They're also some of the most marketable animals in all of fiction. (sighs) So I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say they just picked out these animals and uh yeah, they just picked up these animals and by coincidence they happen to be the zodiac animals. Yeah. Half of them are some of them arguably don't fit. Like Zyndical's not a mouse. And people are going to say, oh, it's called the Fire Mouse Pokemon. It's not a f***ing mouse, though.
0: I- I'm going to be real with you. I had this exact same conversation in my dis- in my Discord group. They were like, it's called the Fire Mouse. And I'm like, oh, boohoo.
1: Yeah, yeah, the thing is, Blastoise is called the Shellfish Pokemon. Is it an oyster? Is Blastoise an oyster now?
0: Maybe that's what the oyster is. It, it wasn't tortoise, it was... Oysters and Oyster.
1: Well, there we go, maybe. And you know, fennekin's a fox, not a dog. Close enough? I mean, I guess, but this brings me up to my next sort of problem. Now, Fuicoco has come along, and it's a crocodile. I'm not gonna argue with anyone here, it's a crocodile. Its name, Fuicoco, comes from the Spanish words fuego, fire, and crocodilo, crocodile. It's mm-hmm. a fire crocodile.
0: I'd like to point but out no. it's uh it's Pokedex name is also Fire Croc Pokemon.
1: Yeah, I guess so. But uh, but now people now so now I figured okay we can finally put this this thing to rest. It wasn't a thing. But no, people are like oh, but it's probably gonna drop its legs and become a snake. Or, or even better, oh well, oh, a, a nickname for male alligators is bull, so it represents the ox. It's a crocodile.
0: I gotta say so that, a that. Snake
1: or an ox, it's a crocodile.
0: That last one is this. You could join the NBA with reach like that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, oh, here's the best one. Some people are saying, oh yeah, it's a crocodile, but crocodiles and snakes are both reptiles, so it's close enough. And this has just got me thinking, like, you guys, you just you would just put any animal into the Zodiac if it's just close enough. Fox or dog? Close enough. Reptile or snake? Close, close enough, apparently. Like, it just makes me wonder if, like, a bat was announced as the next fire starter which which zodiac would you say it's close enough to the horse they're both mammals like it's just <laughs> it just it just strikes me that these guys are so desperate to make this a thing when it just doesn't seem like it was ever a thing
0: but I'm trying I don't know. I'm trying to think like your whole grass pokemon are extinct
1: the like
0: Grass Pokemon starters have a higher case of I don't even know what they're supposed to be.
1: So this one's technically already been debunked because uh the Kensugimori or someone high up in Pokemon have outright just said that the Bulbasaur line are meant to be frogs. Like not prehistoric frogs, just frogs. Yeah. So they're not they're not extinct. At least as far as I know, frogs are not extinct yet. <laughs> We're getting um, there, but not if yet. If you're
0: listening to this episode five years in the future, check back on on this. <laughs> uh oh, so
1: ch- like Chikorita, okay, it's a Brachiosaurus.
0: Is Geptot? it though, I have all like then see this is the thing, right? What the
1: f is Chikorita? I don't know. It's like a it's like a well, Meganium is obviously some kind of sauropod with a flower around it. Um Trico, I don't know, I'd say Septile is still a gecko.
0: It's yeah. just a really
1: big gecko, but I can see how someone could say it looks like a dinosaur, so whatever. Torterra, same thing. It's a tortoise, but okay, maybe you can argue it's an ankylosaurus. Superior no, no that's...
0: that. Okay, I, I draw the line that That's what some people
1: say. It's an ankylosaurus. It's like
0: literally that. the name. <laughs> Turtwig. <laughs> Tort- Tort- <laughs> yes,
1: I know. Tort. <laughs> Superior is just a snake. Like... And that's the thing, especially with the grass types, like any living animal today has a prehistoric equivalent. And the thing is with Pokemon, when they evolve, how do you make a Pokemon seem evolved? You just make it bigger and tougher looking and prehistoric animals tend to be bigger and tougher looking than modern animals. So yeah, of course, maybe they look prehistoric, but I don't think there was ever a trend. I don't think Superior is based on any prehistoric snake. It's just a regular snake.
0: No, it's a rich snake. It's like <laughs> yeah, that.
1: It's a rich snake. It's a rich uh, aristocrat yeah. snake. Um, yeah. That's not, I don't even know. Maybe it's, the people say it's a glyptodont, maybe. Uh, nah, nah.
0: I, I, I'm call, <laughs> calling bullshit on that because uh, I think it was Ken Sugimori did straight up say Gen 6 was based on RPG classes.
1: There you go. The Decidueye is just an owl. I've seen or people saying, "Oh, it's ba- Oh, it's a ghost type because it's based on an extinct animal. Owl. No, it's a ghost type because owls are associated with with ghosts. Actually, Word I've
0: for- I've heard the the UI one has some water because it is specifically a stilt owl. Which has the same stupidly long legs that the situi has, oh, and okay. it was and right. maybe that it was but... native to Hawaii before it went extinct, which is where Alola... So that that one has a bit more ground than the others.
1: I guess so, but I don't know. I always I always heard it was cause just just because owls are associated with the undead. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't know. It could be both. Anyways, and Reelaboom... Boom's a gorilla. Yeah, they, they, it's, uh, they're still alive. For now. For now.
0: Shout out to David Attenborough for all your hard work in keeping this theory. David Attenborough is stopping this theory from coming true. He's like, <laughs> He's like Spider-Man in Spider-Man. He's like Spider-Man in Spider-Man 2, stopping the train from going. <laughs> Anyways, um, we uh, we gotta gotta make a move. Quaxly is literally just Donald Duck. Yeah, Kingdom Hearts Donald Duck, little anime Donald Duck, <laughs> which is just Kingdom Hearts Donald Duck. I had a friend say he looks like Donald Trump because he's got like the little thing. No, we've already got Donald Trump in Pokemon form. Don't be greedy. We've got that f- that fucking rat from Alola. True. Um,
1: Quaxley, I think, left the least impression of me of the three, but, I mean, I still think he's quite cute. I like the little hats, and, yeah, I I, I do like the theory going around that, it might, that he might turn into, like, um some sort of a conquistador, or, I don't know. I kind of like the idea that maybe he could be, like, a bullfighter. I don't Ooh, know.
0: Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you say, when you say conquistador, I'm just, I'm laughing because this adorable duckling is responsible for Colonial for colonializing South America. I mean that's what
1: people are saying oh he'll be some sort of like I don't know dude with a sword and I guess the only dude of a sword people can think of from Spain is conquistador. Yeah that, to be fair that's
0: close enough but yeah no that's that's pretty hilarious uh I don't know. please send I, I don't know. your My... fan art of uh Quaxley colonizing South America to Benedict at benedict.gamebraves.com uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, I I feel like bird Pokemon are the Pokemon I'm most sensitive to the art style change of. Because bird, like, okay, for those of you who don't know, like, I dabble a lot in reading, like, animal journals and stuff, right? So, like, bird anatomy is hard. Every bird's anatomy is being very, like, you move too much... If you move a slider too much to one side, that, that entire design is gonna fucking <laughs> break. So just like seeing, quite, quite Quack, as a baby looks cute, you know, it's got the. Got the big hit, but it's just I feel we've done this already. We've got the um, the Pokemon that turns to bravery We've got uh what else we got? Yeah, I
1: I do get what you mean. Like it's weird to me the one while I do like the designs, it is weird to me that for the first time we've gotten free Pokemon designs that have sort of been done already in a way. Like uh Yeah. So we already have the starter cat and we have lots of cats in Pokemon in general. Uh we have a crocodile with a tilted And uh, you know, we have a water duck. I mean wasn't some very memorable water duck but we actually we have two water ducks duck and uh, the other one
0: yeah yeah we do oh yeah totally forgot about that yeah yeah but this
1: will be the second uh the second water uh w- the second water type bird starter I mean different type of bird of course but yeah but yeah, I think they've managed to keep them fresh fre- what's the word fresh despite all that but yeah
0: I don't know. I'll, I'll wait for the evolutions to come in because, like.
1: Yeah, true. I feel yeah, like a weird.
0: lot of Pokemon designs now are about the final evolution. It's about how you get to the final evolution, to, to make sense. I wish this yeah. game spent another year in the oven, though.
1: Yeah, it just. It does seem weird it's getting announced so soon after uh, Legends dropped. Yeah. It... Like, you know, you figured they'd want a bit of cooldown time. Uh, I've seen some people point out that, oh, they probably have different teams working on them. And yeah, they probably do, but. You know, still.
0: But yeah, you, you could have... The market is still on cooldown. You could
1: have you could have used that time to make your game not look like ass. The little we've seen of... What's it? Scarlet and Violet? It looks okay. A, l- a lot of people are saying they think it looks better than Sword and... Not Sword and Shield. Uh, Pokemon Legends. Although that's not <laughs> a high barrier. Again,
0: Yeah, that is not a high bar at all. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Uh, one last thing before we drop out of the Pokemon talk is... Once again, my bingo card was proven wrong. No Pokemon, no Pokken Tournament Revelator. I am sad. Game Freak, what the hell, I mailed you $5 like two months ago. Where's my, where's my Pocket sequel, you cowards? Uh,
1: I wish they would, I honestly wish they, they would bring it back or keep it going. I mean, a Pokemon fighting game just seems like such a good idea.
0: You know, you know, you know what's bad about how the legacy of pokemon they explicitly used it to market Pokemon Unite. The trailer announcing Pokemon Unite contained a bunch of parkin footage. Ouch. To show that you know people like playing multiplayer Pokemon games together. So the only the only footage they had of people next to each other playing a Pokemon game was parkin. That's it for the for the Pokemon thing. Also, the uh, quick Digimon Con update, so you people don't think we're overly biased. Digimon Survive is still alive. Trust me, don't worry about it. Here is a shaky clip to prove it is still alive.
1: (laughs) Being a bit more optimistic, it does seem like it's at least entering the final stages of development. Like, you know, if it's being sent out to the ESRB, which was reported a few months back, it means they must have some kind of working build of it at least.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And the whole... The game-changing developers, definitely only makes so much sense on the delays. It'll come out. It'll probably be good. But I will never stop making fun of this game for being trapped in limbo. It was supposed oh, yeah. to come out before I went to study in the UK. I have graduated. And I'm now <laughs> entering, my, entering my third year of work. So anyways, we don't usually cover indie games on this podcast. But I do want to talk about this small indie game that I've been playing lately. Sure. A t- small, tiny game. And I liked it enough that it that it should get its own segment. You heard this game called Elden Ring.
1: Yeah, very small indie game. No budget at all.
0: No budget at all. I have been hooked on Elden Ring. When we got we got early access for it, right? We were among the we were among the companies that got a little more a slightly under a week to, to play the game before the review embargo. I had three 10-hour sessions of Elden Ring. Like my day was wake up or the lunch. Eat lunch, Elden Ring, go to bed at 1am.
1: Yikes, that reminds me of my Persona 5 run.
0: Yeah, here's the thing though game is good. Game is so good. <laughs> good lord, that is a good game. Like, I don't even know where to start with it. So many years ago, I joked with my friend about how I like Dark Souls 2, which is like the black horse of the Soul series. It was my first Dark Souls game. And it had this really cool feature where walk in any direction, there's an area with its own story and its own boss fight that you have to deal with. That is Elden Ring. Like, uh, I, I used to joke like, you know, I would love a Dark Souls 2 2, which was, uh you know, the spirit of Dark Souls 2 but with modern Souls features. And that's literally what Elden Ring is. It is, it literally goes, here's the starting area, walk in any direction you want, have, like, just get what you want. There's a bunch of bosses everywhere. During the demo, period i was infuriated because i had a bunch of moments where i would be like okay this area looks clear i think i've done everything in this area and there's like one small grayed out corner that i haven't been to and then after the embargo for the demo preview came out i went uh, i watched other people's videos they go to that grayed out corner entire dungeon that was uh, that was uh the edge you missed the entrance to an entire dungeon there were two bosses in there there was <laughs> And all like it was all that kind of stuff and that's pretty much, yeah, Elden Ring is great. Like, I,
1: and I feel bad for the games that that came out the same time as it. I haven't, I mean, I haven't played it, it's not really my thing, but yeah, it's a big-ass deal, I mean, I can't deny that. It's like the most, and it's
0: also by Soul standards, this is the most mainstream attention a Souls game has gotten. Like, Sekiro came close. But one, I don't particularly consider Sekiro a Souls game. Uh, that's, a, that's a hill I'm willing to die on. Uh, and two, it's just like, somehow the powers of Jeff Keighley and you know, R slash Elden Ring have launched the hype so high that I'm seeing way more people say like, I don't usually like Souls games, but you guys are all talking about Elden Ring so much I want to try it. And then they get their ass kicked by a burial tree watchdog, and
1: then they go and then they
0: throw a tantrum about it and post a scrub code.
1: <laughs> yeah. See, this is where I'm smart. You can't you can't end up dying at Elden Ring if you don't play Elden Ring.
0: <laughs> yeah. The answer is to not play. That's it's like I like it, but it's also funny seeing people discover what has been long running in the Souls community. Like one uh, of them is. No
1: worries. Uh, no worries. It's the same thing with Shin Megami Tensei. Like, when you have new people come up and it's way harder than they think it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's funny is that I've only ever heard about the difficulty of Shin Megami Tensei. So, yeah, yeah, So Your attitude towards Elden Ring was my attitude towards SMT5. Where I was like, Hell no, I'm not gonna touch SMT5. <laughs> that game looks cool as shit. I'm not gonna play it.
1: <laughs>
0: but yeah, so, like, with Elden Ring, you know, all the Souls games have that template message system where it's a bunch of pre-written temp- uh, templates and then you can put in stock phrases as well so it's like left ahead or you know treasure ahead or beware of enemy and so my favorite one is there's a blank you can also put like i can't remember the grammar term for it but you can also put like connector words basically so people put tongue but whole and this has been, for as long as I have been playing Souls games, this has been a common message. I go over the weekend, I see people complaining on Twitter and subreddits, like, Why is every message in Elden Ring tongue-but-hole? Or people acting like they just discovered it, be like, Oh my god, tongue-but-hole is so funny, and it's just like, yeah. It is hilarious, first of all. And people like, I saw people legitimately complaining, saying that the message system was being abused. Because people would leave messages on cliff sides saying things like, try rolling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what do you expect with that kind of system?
0: Yeah, no, but that's. Here's that's, <laughs> one of those things like, I'm trying to be sympathetic to new players because you obviously weren't expecting it. Like, why would you expect it, right? But as someone who's been playing Souls games for like, what, 10 years now, I'm just like, haha, look! Dude, my first death in Elden Ring was because I saw a cliff with the message, tried jumping on it. And because it was a pre-release build, I thought surely no one could have left could have left a malicious message, right? And so I jumped, and I was like, what the hell I died? <laughs> that was just part of the experience. Also, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Souls games have these things called illusory walls. They are walls that when you attack, they disappear and reveal a hidden room. In Dark Souls 3, there's an entire area of the game and one of the hardest boss fights in that game behind an illusory wall. So, Elden Ring, Elden Ring, sure enough, every wall has a message in front of it that says illusory wall ahead or try attacking. And, at first I thought, haha, there were no illusory walls in the beta. So I was like, haha, you know, they just put this in because there's a joke. Then I randomly attacked the wall and it disappeared. So now I am Anxiously attacking every wall I see. Also, uh, Dark Souls 2 made it even worse. Dark Dark Souls 2 being my first Souls game was so bad on a formative level. Because uh, after the Ruined Sentinels, which was my first major roadblock boss fight, there is a room with I think 4 to 6 illusory walls in them. So now I don't trust anything. Every room I go to, I have to attack every wall because even if the room already has a wall, I think to myself, but what if there's more though? So yeah, that's yeah. that's the thing. And this game has swamps, lots of swamps. Miyazaki loves his, his poison swamps. And not all the swamps are poisonous. I found one poisonous swamp and I cannot find it again on the map. We had to cut a gag from the review where... With... <laughs> Where I wanted to go looking for a... Like, I wanted to have a poison swamp gag. And I couldn't find it to record the footage. And I was complaining that I was being (laughs) swamp-lighted. Because there are are multiple swamps in the game. But not all of them are Miyazaki-brand poison swamps. Some of them are just nice, clear swamps. But then there was one that was poisonous. And I don't know where it is. (laughs) And Fadel from Game Awaker is texting me telling me he found it but won't tell me where it is. And I'm just like, ah, I need to... <laughs> I need to know! I need to know! Look it up. This was before the game was out! There was... <laughs> there was nowhere to look it up! <laughs> but yeah, no, it's... Elden Ring is great. Uh, the boss fights are all really good. And that game deserves all the praise it gets but it deserves all the criticism as well. Oh my god! That game does not run on PC. Oh, that bad again? It's not cyberpunk bad. Like, it's got frame stuttering issues, crashes, a bunch a bunch of that stuff. Here's the thing, though. From games, this this isn't meant to be a defense of it, because I think if you sell a game on PC, it should work on PC. You know, it's an extreme take, but I'm willing to stand by it. Yeah. But also, Souls games have never run on PC.
1: <laughs> well... Like I said, I'm not trying to excuse it, they should run properly, but you can definitely tell that a lot of these guys, they develop it for the consoles first, and then the PC second. Well,
0: here, here's the thing. That is 100% the case. Dark Souls 1 did not release on PC at launch. Fans begged from to put it on PC, and then they did. And then it didn't run on PC, <laughs> and then a guy had to make a mod that fixed the game on PC and it became common knowledge like hey, if you buy Dark Souls 1, get the mod with it that makes the game playable. Dark Souls 2 then went on to have a problem because du- item durability in that game was tied to your frame rate, And so if you were running the game at 60 FPS, your items were decaying into dust.
1: Why would you program it like
0: that? Just a quirk of the engine. Dark Souls 3, to my knowledge, I don't think it had any PC issues. <laughs> don't hold me to that, but, I, but I'm but i pretty sure it had PC issues. Just because Elden Ring has issues and it's running the same engine. I don't know about Sekiro, I think Sekiro worked on PC. But yeah, so it's one of those things where like, yes, Elden Ring absolutely should have run on PC. But at the same time, look at the track record, <laughs> we were
1: never gonna get there. From what I understand, that is kind of a thing with a lot of uh, Japanese developers.
0: Yeah. A lot of
1: them do. A lot of them, it's console first and then PC second.
0: Yeah, because there's just too many variables to account for on PC. That's the other thing, it's got stupidly high PC specs. I don't, I'm not a PC technical man, so I can't, you know, I can't talk about it in detail. But my understanding is it needs gigawatts and a fusion reactor GPU. That's rough. Considering the game is not that pretty either, like, the, I saw its requirements compared to Red Dead Redemption 2, which is, you know, a beautiful game. It's funny just seeing them side by side like that. Eldering Ring is a good looking game, but it's not that good looking. <laughs> it is carried by art direction, not any kind of, like, graphical prowess. So, yeah, uh, one, one last thing before we get out of here is that uh, the game is satisfying. Like the fact that my biggest problem with open world games is what are you looking for when you're exploring the world? Genshin Impact, it's chests rupee. It be, you know. A lot of a lot of games, a lot of open world games, it's side quests and all that stuff. Elder Ring says no, none of that. What do you get when you explore? You get a boss fight. There's these things called minor ur trees which are like smaller versions of those god tree of that god tree that you see in the background from berserk i was like ooh, so you can actually go up to the minor trees let's let's go up to the minor tree there was a boss fight there <laughs> okay. <Sounds about> right. <laughs> there's an ur tree avatar he's just hanging out there i went walking in the woods giant bears started coming after me i went walking in the plains a knight on horseback had a health bar I decided to go at night. A second night on horseback appeared. It's, it is the most, like, despite the genre shift, it is somehow laughably honest to the Souls formula. So yeah. Oh my god, I love this game. I want, I want to take time off just to play more of it, really. Also, yeah. Um, Mira, please read other manga other than Berserk. These references are getting out of hand. Do you mean Miyazaki? Oh, sorry, no, not. I keep mixing them up because I I keep talking about them and just, Yeah, yeah, so Miyaz- Miyazaki, please. Read read other manga as an episode. These references get... they're getting big out of hand. Katz is literally in the game now. He is a wolf knight with a great sword and his left arm is conspicuously missing. Like, it is always covered by a cloak. Uh, there is what I believe to be a, a very touching tribute to Miura in the game. It's mm-hmm. a... Uh, it's a hill full of swords. With one huge sword, uh with an inscription on it that uh talks about a single knight who quested for vengeance. And a lot of people are always just like, Oh, you know, not everything's a berserk reference. But sometimes it is though. <laughs> I
1: mean that would seem like a very fitting tribute.
0: Yeah, because uh in in Berserk there's the Hill of Swords, which was the the blacksmith kid after after the eclipse he makes a sword for everyone who died and uh like yeah and puts them on a hill like that so yeah it makes sense it makes sense but yeah february was a busy month remember this podcast is now on a monthly schedule third thursday of every month so you know if you like this don't forget to you know leave leave comments let us know about how hot you find genki absol (laughs) i'm calling it that's what that evolution is gonna be that final evolution is gonna be genki absol or salazzle yeah yeah i can see that just remember Quaxley is guilty of war crimes i mean donald's probably guilty of war crimes so, yeah. he can cast zeta flare he is definitely guilty of war crimes <laughs> <laughs> there was a warner brothers world in kingdom hearts active key phrase was <laughs> listen listen in dark souls 3 there's this guy called high lord walner who crushed uh, who took the crowns of every other king and ground them into dust and smelted it into his own crown. That is the crown that King Mickey wears. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the crown of the 20th century fox. <laughs> After their conquest. <laughs> <laughs> this
0: has been... This has been another episode of The Brave Room. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, take care, guys.
1: Thank you.